Today on Makers Cast, I record on site at the Global Game Jam in Nashville, Tennessee. I was almost expecting the music to just uh-huh. off. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Makers Cast, my excuse to talk to interesting people in the name of marketing. I'm Matt. And this is not strictly a normal episode of Makers Cast. So today, instead of talking to one guest, I'm hopefully going to be talking to several. So to explain, as you heard in the uh, cold open, I am currently at the Nashville chapter of the Global Game Jam. For those who don't know, a game jam is an event where people are invited to make a game within certain constraints or to a certain theme, usually a time limit and just produce as finished a game as they can with those parameters. The Global Game Jam happens once a year, and it's basically like a 48-hour film festival, but for video games. For the next two days, at time of recording January 31st, people across the world will be making games around a singular theme, which has just been revealed as Repair. So I'm here at Vanderbilt University's Wondery to talk to all the Nashville folks who will be making games along that theme at the Global Game Jam this year. Hopefully, we will now transition into our first conversation. All right, if you could state uh, your name for the folks at home. <laughs> uh, my name is Ross David Cooper. Hey, Ross. Hello. <laughs> so, thanks for coming by. So, uh, we were just talking before you came on mic. You said this is your fifth game jam? Or this will be my fourth. Fourth one. As I said, we were talking before, and you are a composer, specifically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you come to game jams first, or decide you wanted to compose for video games first? Oh, man, they both happen around the same time. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it was sort of a recent decision to go back to music. I, I grew up studying music, and it's been something I did my whole life until uh, after college, uh, and I stopped for about a decade. Uh, so when I when I came back to music, I guess it was maybe a year and a half ago, then I started thinking, okay, well, I, I want to do music for video games. Like, okay, well, I better make some video game developer friends. It's like, oh, this thing called game jams that everyone's talking about. So, yeah, it was right around the same time, and I'm really glad I, I found the game jams because they're really, yeah. really great experience. So, where did you hear about game jams? Because I know for me, it was very sort of tangential. Of like, I somehow discovered itch, like itch.io. Yeah. You know, yeah, the the weird <laughs> indie hub, and there was the whole tab for game jams, and I went. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So how, how did you come across them? Uh, I, I honestly, I don't remember. I guess it must have been um, someone telling me at a game developing sort of networking event. I've sure. been to a bunch of those. Uh, people would say, like, they'd give me tips because, like, oh, yeah, I'm looking to do music. Like, yeah, you should definitely do a game jam. You know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, there's one coming up in January. I was like, you better sign up for it. I was like, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I think when I moved here to Nashville, it was uh, the first Nashville game dev meeting that I went to was the one right before Game Jam. Nice. So it was good timing. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was perfect for me. Cool. So you, uh, you said you've dedicated yourself currently to four songs. Is that for <laughs> four different teams? Yeah. Well, so it's actually four projects. Right. Um, one of them... Okay, so one of them's probably going to have two songs, and one of them, she wants three... So I don't I don't know how many songs I'm gonna have by the end of the weekend, but probably at least three or four. Okay. Uh, I may have to back out on some of them, but I'm sure. gonna try my best to get at least something. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be perfect, and that's the whole spirit of the jam. Is, yeah. You, know, you just get something out there that works, and mm-hmm. if it works ten percent, it's still ten percent. Yeah, you tried something. Exactly. Yeah, you got something to show and something to laugh about <laughs> later, hopefully. Yeah, and, and for the listeners at home. Uh, the at the sort of keynote send off for uh, the whole event, I, I was very interested by the sort of built in, not networking but team building aspect of like as soon as the uh, theme is announced, everyone is encouraged to sort of cross wires and mesh together and start to create teams mm. to to make your things. Yeah, that was one of my favorite aspects of the jam when I first came here a year ago because. I mean, I, I work at home a lot, and I'm always working on projects, but I get the most when I'm working with other people uh, because there's this this sort of chemistry that happens with, like, rapid-fire iteration and just bouncing ideas off each other. And, and if I'm working alone, I get very discouraged. Mm. You know, at some point, you get a little bit sluggish, and you start to have these self-doubts. But when you're with a team and everyone's going crazy, then it, it everyone then just starts to, to start encouraging each other. And 
uh, amazingly enough, everyone just ends up rising above whatever shortcomings we had before just because we're there encouraging each other. Mm-hmm. So there's something about that vibe that, that really makes Game Jam special. That's why, what I really love about them. Mm-hmm. It's very much why I started this podcast, because I worked <laughs> from home and needed to socialize. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a way to do it. Yep. So uh, when uh, the, the theme of repair was announced, did you have any specific ideas? Did you just float to teams who said, hey, we need music? Yeah, well, um, I, I did have a couple of ideas. So the, the one that first came to me, that had this idea of like an android on this like dystopian, destroyed planet, like post-apocalyptic, and he's just sort of wandering, looking for meaning. And uh, there's like this city, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. And he has to get a bunch of pieces to repair a machine that then turns on and lights up the city, mm. kind of reveals more about the history of it. I just immediately sort of just discarded it. I was like, no, I'm not going to build that game because... <laughs> Um, Not in 48 hours. Yeah, I, I have a little bit of coding experience, and I've I've, I've built uh, games at Game Jams before, but very very simple games, and not with a lot of art. And that would have had to have had a lot of art, which I don't do. So, yeah, I, I put that a shot aside and just kind of shelved it. If somebody else wants to use it, then they can. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I like to generally let other people take the lead and just come up with music for their vision. It's yeah, uh, it's what I'm best at. I think hmm. I think so. Yeah, that's one of the things. Like as I, I'm definitely seeing that here, and I saw it, you know, again on itch, uh, just in general, and in the game jam centers. It's interesting because video games, to me, as someone who's worked in other creative realms like writing and music, are one of the few places I've seen where people are satisfied posting an unfinished work just to because of how much goes into it. If mm. you get past a certain bar you're still going to put it out there as a, a proof of concept or as an engine or physics or something. And that, that's kind right. of fascinating. Right. I th- well, I think it comes from the, the amount of complexity in mm-hmm. the art form. That's just inherent in the art form because you think about art, like uh, you can get a sketch pad and just draw something very quickly. Uh, music, you can just sing a song into a microphone and have a prototype very quickly. But for a game, if you want to build a working prototype for a game, oftentimes that's going to be several hours or maybe even several days. Mm-hmm. And if it's a 3D game, it's very complex. It could take weeks or months. Mm-hmm. And so by that point, it's the equivalent of like a sketch for art or you know just a quick prototype recording for music. You know, those are the kinds of things that we might throw away. But then, like you said, in the game dev world, yeah, they're definitely going to be like, look at all this work that I did. <laughs> Even though I failed, despite my failure, look at all the successes that I had to get me to this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely a part of it. I guess that's kind of built on the back of how much coding is like integral to anything in the tech space, because so much of coding is like building off of blocks that are already there. Because like how many game engines that we play things on now are like four generation engines ago just sort of Frankenstein together. Right. And there's only so many mechanics too mm-hmm. that people generally use. That's something that, that I like seeing at games is um or at game jams is seeing the ways in which people try to reinvent these mechanics mm-hmm. that we know so well. Because like uh, you know, a, a simple platformer, there's uh, jumping, everybody knows Mario, you can jump onto the platforms or jump on the Goombas, but then people will add like just a single twist. Uh, and and make this entirely new concept, or they'll they'll take just the the simple idea of a platformer like Mario, and then uh, put a new story into it, mm-hmm. or a complete completely new art and graphics that take you into a very different emotional experience as a player. And that's a lot of fun for me sure. is, is seeing the ways in which we can take all these past mechanics, all these past things that. Uh, are already very well established. They've got hundreds, sometimes thousands of games, and then someone will come up with a new way to uh, to wrap it. And uh, that, that just intrigues me so much and inspires me endlessly, too. Mm. Yeah. So uh, obviously when this goes up, I'll have posted a link to the game jam so everyone can play all the completed games. And maybe not all the things you you work on will see completion, <laughs> as we just discussed. But um, so people can sort of be pointed toward which ones you may have worked on. Can you talk about any of the... Uh, sort of ideas or premises behind oh, yeah. the ones you've been attached to. Yeah, and these are like these are all going to definitely change a lot. Um, they they've already changed several times in just the hours oh, sure. in which we've been here. I uh, something I've been doing is I go up to one team and I get you know their idea for the game they're working on, and then I'll walk to another team and then I'll walk back, and it's a completely different game. Yep. Uh, so this is what the the games I'm currently working on. There's um, one about uh, it's it's an adventure story driven game about uh, a ghost or several ghosts trying to collect pieces uh, that are sort of clues to 
solve this mystery of this world. Uh, there's a game that is a, I think the current working title is uh, Watch Repair Simulator. Okay. And, and they're looking, it's a VR game, and they're le- looking to make that game as frustrating as possible <laughs> for the player. So I'm not too sure uh, what I'm going to be doing for that music-wise. Sure. It'll be a fun challenge. but um, Lots of ticking, I assume, and then just lots of uh, well, because sprawings I, and such when you fail. I, you've got to start it. It's really subtle, you know, because you don't want to scare them away too early. Mm-hmm. So they they want it to be true psychological tortures. Like, okay, so I better I, I've got to be very sneaky about what I do musically. I've got to have them comfortable to start, and then slowly kind of take them into a, a realm in which they're not at all comfortable. Mm. So uh, I, I have some fun ideas for that. I don't know if I can pull it off. Let's see. So third, there's a, a lo-fi uh, FPS kind of uh, adventure puzzle game where you're collecting pieces of a derelict ship and putting them together in order to then take off, I think. Hmm. They want something that's sort of like a 80s retro synth sound, so that'll be fun. And then the fourth game... Uh, oh, <laughs> that one is a, a spider. I, th- I think they're calling the spider Van Gogh. <laughs> he's a spider in a... I think that the, the theme is he's in a museum and he has he's building his spider webs but he can uh use the spider webs to pull the pieces of the painting together mm. to, to craft them and repair them uh something about like the spider being able to like eat paint chips to get power-ups or something huh. uh, i don't know how much of that is going to be there it's, it's a, a pretty ambitious game when it comes to the programming and the physics and the art mm. so i'm actually looking forward to seeing where they go with that yeah, those are the, the four current projects I'm, I'm looking at. Yeah, I, I already have a lot of ideas to keep in my head. Figure when I get home, I'll, I'll stay awake as long as I can working <laughs> on them. Well, I don't want to keep you from that any longer. It's going to be a busy weekend, but thanks for sitting down with me. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, hello. Welcome. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you. If you'd like to introduce yourself to the folks at home. Yeah. Hi there. My name is John Gale, and I'm... The treasurer of Nashville Game Developers. We're a Tennessee nonprofit looking to promote game development here in the Middle Tennessee area. And I'm also the organizer of the Global Game Jam in Nashville, and that's where we're at, the 2020 Global Game Jam. Everybody's here on Vanderbilt campus making games and having a good time. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for putting this all together, and thanks for letting me be here and not make games. Just <laughs> hang out and meet some cool folks. Well, I mean, any anybody's welcome to the the global game jam from any sort of discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really fun. There's there's one team I just talked to. They're like, we we have no developers, we have no programmers on our team, and we're making something. So I'm excited to see what they come up with. There we go. And I imagine maybe this is true for them, maybe it isn't. That could be in part due to the fact there's so many programs now that just let you put in assets. Right, yeah, right. And just yeah. sort of run with it. Yeah, even the one I use is called RPG Maker. Mm-hmm. And it more than typing out code, it's more like you, you point and click to right. commands, transfer player, uh, different things that are pretty easy to understand just looking at them. So mm-hmm. if you don't really have to write any code to make a game with that one. Gotcha. So how long have you been involved with Global Game Jam? This is my second year as oh. the organizer, sure. but I've been participating since 2016. Nice. How long has it been going? The event itself, maybe 2010 or the late, mm. the late aughts. Gotcha. I think we've hosted it here in Nashville since about 2012 or so. Cool. So how long have you yourself been making games? Uh, since late 2015. Gotcha. I actually started coming to the Nashville Game Developers around 2014. Mm-hmm. I my background is is actually Japanese language. I used to live in Japan. I have a master's degree in Japanese, and I, I really wanted to be like a video game translator mm. or a localizer. Right. And I was out in San Francisco trying to get jobs at, at companies that do that. And I, I had worked as a translator in the auto industry, and they were like. Sort of the impression I got was, we get it, you're a translator. You've worked in the auto industry. You've translated stuff, but you don't know how games work. You don't right. know about text strings and, mm. and character limitations and, and things like that. So I really struggled to, to get a job in that industry and then came back here and was hanging out with the group sort of more to, to learn those skills, yeah. but then got into making games and <laughs> just stuck with it since. So, yeah, I guess in that way it's another language on top of the language that you are localizing, so you have to sort of combine the two. Right. Well, like one example someone gave me is, is especially with character limits mm. in, in text, 
And the way that, that Chinese and Japanese characters work is they're very pictorial. Right. So you can express the word exit with just two characters, whereas in English we need four characters, E-X-I-T. In Spanish you need six for the word salida. Mm -hmm. So there's that, that type of thing that you have to think about with localization, which I'd never thought of. Mm -hmm. I was just like, what's the word for exit? De Gucci. You know, I could have told you that off the top of my head. But when you get to that technical level... Yeah, there's a lot more to consider. Yeah, I guess for uh, for all the anime watchers, it's not not unakin to when you're having to dub something and you're thinking about like the amount of syllables and the amount right. of like mouth movement you're having to match to. Yeah, the technical limitation. Yeah, I, I like to go to a lot of the anime conventions mm -hmm. and just sit in in the voice actor panels. I mean, I, I watch my anime in Japanese, but I think it's really interesting to hear the English voice actors to, to hear what they go through, and that's yeah. what they talked about. They they like you have to match the lip flaps, mm -hmm. so it. it there are limitations to it. Gotcha. Uh, was there a distinct moment when you decided to move away from the, the localization dream to, no, I just kind of want to build this community and you know be a part of it? Well, I had a, a, a business idea I wanted to launch where we would make Japanese language educational games. Mm. And I was telling people in the group, I kind of want to do that. And, and one guy here, Daniel Ledford, he was like, okay, I could help you, but you need to learn to talk to talk. Sort of the, the same issue I had with trying to get into localization. You need to learn how to, how, a basic of how games work sure. to be able to talk to a programmer. And so he told me there was this online course on sale on the site Udemy hmm. for the game engine Unity. It gets confusing, right. <laughs> those two. The, the Unity course on Udemy. He's like, it's on sale, take that, and then you'll have a better understanding. And just from that point on, where I took the, the Unity course was when I got more into making games itself. And in that course, we made a block breaker game, and the basics of that became the game that I released on iOS and Android called Hiragana Breaker. So right. it, was, it was directly from... It's not that I set out to make this block-breaking game that teaches <laughs> you Japanese. That was never the vision. It was like, I know how to make a block-breaking game now, so sure. I'm going to do that. So fast forward to now. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we're at the Global Game Jam 2020. If you would like to tell the folks about the game that you made for the theme of Repair. For Repair, yeah. I, I know the theme a few days ahead of everybody else <laughs> because I'm the organizer. And just, just what hit me was the 1982 Atari game, E.T. Uh, I'll, I'll sort of reveal my age here. I was born in 1980. I just turned 40 last week. Oh, I'm still kind of coping with it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my brother and I, we used to love the E.T. game when we were like four and five, growing up in the 80s. And then like, you know, in, in college and, and later, like in the 2000s, as I get more into like the games as the industry, the E.T. game is just really infamous for, like, how terrible it is. Right. But and as a four- or five-year-old, you can't tell. You're just playing right. an Atari game. Right. And I was telling people the other day, when I was that young in the, in the 80s, and if you think about the old arcade games, mm -hmm. you didn't really play them to beat them. Like, right. you just played Pac-Man to play it. Mm -hmm. You just played Galaga to play it. Yeah, there, w there was no set ending. That's right. why you have to keep feeding it quarters. Right, yeah. And I think for E.T. it was the same way. Like, we'd never thought, like, get all the pieces to the phone so that E.T. can call home and beat it. Like, we just played it because it had color and noise. Right. But it wasn't until, like, Nintendo, like Super Mario Brothers, that mm. I became aware that, like, oh, you can beat a game. Right. And so I, I really do feel that a lot of the, the hate E.T. gets, like, you know, it's impossible to beat and it's so hard. I mean, there is a lot wrong with it, don't <laughs> get me wrong, but I think everyone's interpreting it through their modern-day eyes. Yeah, and there's also the whole, like, argument that it collapsed the American game industry yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that kind of thing. I, I've, I read that book, it's like the ultimate history of video games or yes. something and that that really laid it out nice that that it, it took a lot of drama sort of to get the license mm -hmm. and then they wanted it released by christmas of 82 <laughs> and like two guys had like a few weeks to make it right and then the video game market crashed in 83 mm -hmm. so yeah it, it does have a bit of interesting history to it so so that was my idea for the game jam for the idea of repair is that you had to repair your phone to phone home uh, but then I said, like, on a meta level, I wanted to try to repair some of the broken mechanics right. with the original game. Uh, for example, in the original game, E.T. falls in a pit, and then he has to levitate back out. And when you levitate back out, you go back to sort of the world map, if I can call it that. 
and uh, you have to levitate back onto the grass, but it won't let you levitate over grass. Mm. So there's only a small area you can levitate to land on and not fall back in the pit. Right. And some of the pits get caught in this endless loop of just you keep falling in and you can't get out and you use all your energy and, and you die three times and that's it. So for my game, I just you, there's a character down there and you talk to him and teleport out so you don't have to deal with that type of thing. So there were those ideas. I wanted to repair some of the things wrong with the original. Yeah, see if with modern programming technology you can do in two days what they failed to do in a few months. Right, right. <laughs> but only a few months in uh -huh. the 80s, to be fair to them. Right. On day one, you said this has been kind of going more smoothly than previous game jams in your right. experience. I, I think this year I just was playing around Okay. You know, I'm ripping off the idea of E.T. I don't have, like, my own original idea that my heart's in. Right. And that I have, like, a lot of self-expression or, or, or personal interest vested in. Mm -hmm. So, for me, it's also taken off that pressure of having to run the event and make a game of a certain quality right. with a certain amount of self-expression. I'm just here having fun and running, running the event. And I think, too, since we've made the nonprofit organization just last summer... And we have a board, and we sort of talk about things collaboratively and, and support each other. So it, it's also everyone involved. It, it's not our first rodeos. We've, right. been, we've been at least participating for years and years. So we know, we know how it goes by now. Yeah. Now, that's one of the things I'm fascinated by is the idea that there are multiple ways to approach what you try to make during a game jam. Because there, there are people that are going to try to complete a, a small and satisfying gameplay loop. Right. In a 48-hour period. And there are other people who have a big idea that they may not try to complete or would be possible to complete. Mm -hmm. But you're just too excited about it not to see what you can get done in 48 hours with right. these people that you don't normally see. Right. Yeah, this is the one time a year when we've got this many people, mm -hmm. you know, coming together and, and making games. And I remember that excitement my first year because our plan was to make something essentially the same size as the original Mega Man game. Oh, wow. Like six levels. And, you know, we were just so naive and we had no idea. And we, we ended up making one level, which is, you know, nothing compared to a level in Mega Man. Of course. <laughs> and, and that's what I thought this year is because there's some natural tendency we have to say, like, okay, here's the idea, repair, here's my time limit, like, how much can I get done? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the most I can get done? That's sort of our natural thought process. And so I thought it would be interesting, like, what if you could reverse that? What if you say, like, here's the idea, now how little can I get done? Right. Like, here's a character, here's a switch, here's a door, walk over to the switch, push it, then walk out the door, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Like, just if you focus on how little you can do, and then do that the best you can, make that the best push the switch open the door game that you can, and then build on it from there right. in layers. It's, it's called uh, Onion Game Design. Where you you know the core of the onion, the very center, is the part that makes you cry or maybe ah, has the most flavor. I'm not sure. sure. I, I'm I'm not a, a chef, uh, but just just start with that. Just try to make that over yeah. the course of the weekend. Then, if you do have the capacity, add the other layers mm -hmm. of the onion as you go along. Yeah, nail down that core gameplay loop. Right. Yeah, it's almost an. Uh, again, I'm coming at this from an uh, English degree perspective. Uh, it's almost like the Ernest Hemingway ideal of saying as much as you can with as little as you can. Right. Yeah, there there was a team a couple years ago that I think did that really great. They mm. they their game actually had quite a bit. I think it was uh, maybe a patient in a coma oh, wow. or something like that. And there's there's things like family members and things coming to visit like on the outside world. But it it was like a 3D just walk around game and mm -hmm. just huge blocks of text. So it's very minimalist, just yeah. just like black and white, very few colors. But they're able to achieve a lot of emotional impact with like the text that yeah. you would walk by and things like that. So I was impressed with that one. Yeah, I was talking about this with someone uh, the previous day I was here. I mean, the reason that I've sort of got interested in game jams in general in this sort of world was mm -hmm. when I fell upon itch itch.io and right. started to see not only them hosting game jams but also the really small personal games that people upload for free there constantly mm -hmm. and how like it's it doesn't matter that you have a ton of features as long as you understand the base level of the fact that games are an interactive medium mm -hmm. so there's this really basic pixel art game i think it's still one of the top uh played browser games on itch.io for free where you're just moving this pixel character a few spaces over and over again to try and talk to this one person who just won't let you in. Mm. But when you finally get there, because you are the one who got them there, it's satisfying. Uh -huh. Even though it was just 
moving the arrow keys a few times in this pixel-based square. Right, right. It's 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 pretty amazing. I've I've done a lot of also research, sort of into to game narrative mm. and things like that, and and. A sort of interesting experiment is if you... I used to run a, a panel that did this at anime conventions. If you show people, like, scenes from Jaws, was right. the example I used, 1975 movie, and in the very opening scene, uh, there's the girl who goes out swimming, you know, she falls under the water, you know, mm-hmm. the shark gets her, and I said, like, describe this scene, and people say, the shark killed her, she died, the right. shark got her, and then you take something as simple as Mario... Like when he gets hit by a Goomba, and I'm like, now you're playing as Mario and describe this scene. And then people say, I died. Right. The Goomba got me <laughs> or something like that. So even just with that, the simple fact that you're playing a game, even those, those old games, very simple graphics and everything, that, just that small experiment shows you the extent in your mind to which you're taking on the persona of these on-screen characters. Right. Now, it's a weird phenomenon I've noticed uh, just in general is like how you can inhabit those characters and still understand that they are independent of you. Right. It's like, uh, I follow uh, competitive Smash Brothers, and it struck me when I first got into it, when people would talk about the characters, like, say someone's talking about playing Samus, mm-hmm. and they would say, she. Right. Because obviously, Samus is a female character, even if it's a, a dude, mm-hmm. a guy, playing them competitively, you are still sort of inhabiting and in some ways partnering with the skill set of that uh, character. Right. And it, it's a fascinating, almost an exercise in empathy. Mm-hmm. So at this point, uh, we're about an hour out from, to, to date, not only date, but time the podcast. We were about an hour out from people having to finally submit their games for real. Ha- have you been at this point before where you're going up to the wire at the gym? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A, a couple years ago, our, our, our team's game um, like our artist couldn't get the art to us till like Sunday morning. Yeah. And that's where I learned to use placeholders and then do the programming because mm. that was our mistake is we were kind of waiting for the art right. and didn't do a lot of the programming. So then when we got it, there just wasn't enough time mm. to program it and get the bugs out. And, and that was really frustrating because, I mean, we were just, we were burning the midnight oil. <laughs> we, we had lost a lot of sleep and we were just crunching it those last few hours and then like three o'clock hit and it's just like... Acceptance, exactly. like accept it. It's not going to get made. I was talking about this with my wife because we're both sort of entering this space for the first time in terms mm-hmm. of how you approach making games at all, let alone in a forty-eight-hour period. And there were so many things in the sort of opening ceremony keynote that struck me as like being so well formatted to set the tone for the weekend. Mm-hmm. And one of them was when you were talking about how like if you make a broken buggy mess, show us the broken buggy mess because right. that's where you spent your time and we want to mm-hmm. see it. Right. And that, that was really, I don't know, important to me. Yeah, I, uh, like I probably said in the opening too, some of my favorite of the presentations have been people who, who were like, yeah, we didn't know what Unity was Friday night, so we downloaded it mm-hmm. and this is what we got. There we go. And it's like, hey man, that's what you got. Like mm-hmm. That's what you did. Like The people in this room understand how many hours and how much blood, sweat, and tears it took to watch YouTube videos or do whatever it was to learn how to even get, you know, that character moving on the screen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, good, good for you. So I'm, I'm always proud of those, those type of projects. Yeah, cool. Well, I think that'll probably about do us. Okay. But uh, I will be putting links to all of the Game Jam stuff and Nash Game Dev stuff so, uh, in the description of this podcast. So no need to run through that laundry list. So. Okay, okay, great. Yeah, I got to... I gotta, get ready for the tech setup. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, any, any parting words for everyone? Hopefully uh, I'll be able to talk to some more people after the presentations when we see their excellent games. Oh, yeah. No, th- this has been great. This has been the first time we've done this type of thing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just really appreciative of you coming out oh, and, and you. talking to people. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my name is John Helrong. I'm a data analyst, hmm. and I do game development as a hobby. There you go. Is this your first game jam? Uh, this is technically my second. Nice. Techn- uh, why technically? In 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 terms of a global game jam. Ah, I see. I guess maybe fourth game jam ever. Cool. So it's been an interesting ride. Last year was a it was a kind of a wake up call because there's so many people here, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a interesting development because I I joined a team and I had to learn how to work with them and then mm. on Saturday they were gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so they just never came back. Yeah, they didn't. I had to like try to pull something together, and I was still new to Unity. Mm. 
unfortunately, I didn't submit anything, but this time I did. So, cool. congratulations. <laughs> so, even though it's just a concept, it was only me. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels good to be able to submit uh, a concept idea. Yeah. Because you, you have like this dream in your head of like, oh, this is what I want to do in 48 hours. But <laughs> let's be honest, it, it doesn't happen. Oh, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, that's part of the challenge. So, what was uh, the, the concept of your repair game? So, the concept of it is that people wear fabric mm. and you're the needle that's sewing them together. Cool. Oh. Simplistic, uh, very hard <laughs> to get across. So I uh, enabled, uh, essentially made a, a flight sim. Okay. Where you're the needle, and then there's like like a trail, which is supposed to be like a thread, but <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I have like floating cloth, and there's not really completely a game loop, but I'm happy that I made a simulator of yeah. some something. So. That's why I'm like, okay, I'll just submit it because mm-hmm. I'm not going to spend all Sunday trying to figure out how I'm going to gamify this. Mm-hmm. Even though I probably should have thought that about that earlier. It's just, you know, you want to design something, you go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I've learned a lot from it. So Yeah, good. Now, there's definitely a, a philosophy of game design that you, like, there are obviously multiple, but there's definitely one where you start with a satisfying loop and then add a gamifier to it. Yeah. Yeah. Because if the if the loop isn't satisfying, no one plays the game. That's true. That's definitely true. And so that's sort of the approach I took. Uh, usually, I tend to be the person who's like, "Oh, we gotta sit down, lay down the brick road," mm. and that's sort of what I did last time. And uh, <laughs> once you once you look at the map by yourself, you you get intimidated. So my strategy was, let's just go ahead and just shoot for the sky and see where we go and I, I think that wasn't a bad strategy maybe next time I'll do a half and half sure but uh I'm definitely a little bit more confident this time than I was last time cool good to hear so, uh, any other exciting games you've gotten glimpses of for the weekend uh yeah there was uh the spider puzzle game yeah the the Spinson van Gogh yeah yeah, yeah that one was awesome <laughs> I I play tested it last night mm. And I'm hoping to see what they're further along with. Right. Uh, so that'll be kind of cool. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before, but I guess at a certain point in the weekend, everyone's running around being like, can someone play test this, please? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I need to not look at it for two seconds. Yeah. I, I went up to the third floor and I was like, I looked at them designing the spider and I'm like, oh my God, that looks so cool. Because it looks so like detailed and rough. They're like, yeah, we want somebody to play test. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. In my arm. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty cool. I like the mechanics of it. I think I've seen one other, but it was mainly a concept video mm. of it was a fruit ninja. Oh, they're trying yeah. to repair it. Right. I saw their vi- video, and their video is pretty good. Mm. And uh, I hope that, because I guess what they're hoping is making material for it. Right. So it eventually becomes a game, and it sounds like it'd be pretty cool. Mm hmm. So, uh, have you uh, put any other like games on Itch or GitHub in the past that we can go look for? Uh, yes, last year part of the Luminare, mm. I forget which one. I think it's fifty-three. I made uh, a pa- essentially a Pac-Man clone ah. with uh, my coworker. Mm. But essentially, the concept of the game was you're this pill. And you're going around trying to run away, but it's essentially 3D Pac-Man. Oh no! Not the word, not the bad 3D Pac-Man. Right. But it's essentially Pac-Man, but because Unity works in 3D, it's in 3D. Gotcha. That was also unique because before then, I would have probably made it in 2D, and I don't know what possessed me to try <laughs> to make it in 3D. Right. But I'm like, I might as well challenge myself mm-hmm. because the person I was working with had never even touched Unity before mm. then, and so. It was interesting teaching him how to use Unity, the same time trying to make something that would seem simple in Unity, and then you realize, oh crap, uh, Pac-Man's a lot harder <laughs> than you would think, right? especially when you're outside of the, the medium of you know what it was actually designed for. Right. And, and for anyone listening who may not be familiar, could you just uh, give a few words on what Unity is? Oh yeah, Unity is a development engine. Mm-hmm 
to where you can make games in, and it's based off of the .NET, which uses C Sharp as a right. programming language. And it allows you to rapidly iterate and make a game, and then also deploy to many different uh, platforms like mm-hmm. iOS, Android, to the web, um, even to Xbox, PlayStation, pretty much whatever you would like. Yeah, it seems to be pretty much the standard, especially for like low tier, not not low tier quality, but <laughs> low entry point <laughs> indie devs. Uh, like yeah, Unity is how you get there. Yeah, mainly because Unity, uh, as long as you're under a threshold of making money, mm. you can release it for free. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I can't remember how much, but it's on their website. Huh. Uh, I don't know if Unreal is the same way, but Unreal and Unity and one or two other game engines are really the, like the big three, big four. Yeah. And because Unity has made a stance of we're going to try to be more open, mm-hmm. That you, you see a lot of indie developers use Unity. Yeah, no. A- anyone who's spent much time on Steam or the Switch eShop has definitely seen their logo <laughs> over yeah. and over again. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's it's kind of it's kind of funny because I have a couple friends who are like oh, Unity. I'm gonna go for Unreal, and I'm like, okay, if you want to go ahead and do that. <laughs> <laughs> the other part is. Even though Unreal is is nice, some of the other game engines tend to be a little bit more intensive. Mm. Where, for example, I'm just running a laptop, and I can pretty much render most things on Unity. Sure. To where on Unreal, uh, you kind of have to be careful because some of the assets that you pull in are like really high texture, mm. and <laughs> they froze in my machine. So. Yeah, that's definitely what I associate Unreal with, is when everyone would, like... I, I remember a video several years ago now of someone putting Ocarina of Time into Unreal and yep. just looking around going, textures everywhere. Yep. And that's sort of the thing that everybody loves about Unreal. It's just, like, if you want to get these, like, high-res texture games, like, remaking Zelda, <laughs> you do it in Unreal. Or even, like, their tech demos are amazing. Yeah. Like... I mean, for example, you've got Gears of War and all these other things that are made in Unreal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you just look at it and you're like, wow, that's a beast. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, not everybody has the power to handle that. So that's the other asset I think that Unity has, Mm -hmm. along with other um, engines like Stencil or RPG Maker that I know other people are making. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it definitely seems like at this point, with the rise of digital distribution and, as a result of that, more indie devs mm-hmm. actually doing well, people don't care as much about like graphical complexity as just consistency of style, I, mm-hmm. I would say, I would a- as a gamer myself. I would agree because you look at, it's sort of the, the, the trend of just technology getting, you know, to a lower cost point because yeah. of innovation and con- the rise of consumerism within electronics on digital goods that I think quality is going trying to go up in the industry. Mm-hmm. And people are finding it harder and harder and harder to best that how can we make this more realistic? Yeah. And you can there's sort of a trend in the game industry right now of trying to go back to quality. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. But uh, it's it'll be very interesting to see what this decade holds. That's true. All right, well, thanks for sitting down with me. Yeah, of course. This, uh, this was nice. Hello there. Hello. If you'd like to introduce yourself to the folks at home. Sure. My name is Andrew Becker. I am a mathematician, pro wrestler. I work at one of the uh, schools up here in North Nashville. Nice. So what brought you to the Game Jam with that skill set? So this is my fifth time attending a game jam, Mm. and this is the first time that one of my students uh, has joined me. Mm. We got to participate in a game and see what a real project looks like and and see that building games is in some ways more challenging than what he thought, but in some ways, you know, uh, you get to see what complete work looks like. Mm -hmm. Did you have a specific idea coming into the repair theme? So my approach to this game jam um, was that I had certain ideas um you know that i that i was kind of bouncing around and i even i opened it up to my my classroom and i said you know this is what a brainstorming session looks like and one of the things you know when you brainstorm an idea of any kind whether it's a television show or or whatever is what ideas 
am I going to need in the last hour before this thing is due? Mm. When everything else is breaking down, or, you know, you finished it and you just need one more idea. And the the ability to put everything on, a, uh, you know, a sheet or a board and just, you know, like without judging it, leave it up there and say, I may need one last idea. And you never know that that might be the idea. And it might seem stupid, it might seem silly, but like it might be the one that connects the dots at the end when you just needed one more idea. You've been going for a few days straight, you just have to have it finished. Right. And um, the mathematics I've been working on is something called measure theory. Mm. And that deals with functions, you know, like uh, certain types of relationships. In high school, we deal with graphs. And if you've taken calculus, you look at area under a curve, that sort of thing. Uh, measure theory is a uh, fun- type of functional analysis where you're looking at, you know, what types of functions do and, and how, you know, um, you would compare functions of different size, things like that. Mm. And when I got here, it was more about, you know, I want to give my, you know, let my student develop separately. I want him to, you know, go find a project because he and I can do a project with a class or whatever. We can do that any time, but mm-hmm. really get him that. Um, the game that I ended up working on was I took a piece of the, um, you know, what I was working on of in advanced mathematics. And I said, can we make a game kind of like that Duolingo app? It's oh. like a, you know, for languages where mm-hmm. you can kind of practice at your own pace. There's no, there's no. Um, you know, if you miss a day, you know, you, you lose a point, but it's not the end of the world. You didn't fail a class. You didn't have to, you know, repeat college. You didn't lose a scholarship. You just kind of get to play it at your own pace. And and what I looked at is, is say, you know, if I give the audience a proof, you know, like a mathematical proof, uh, you know, in pieces so mm-hmm. that it was broken, can you put it back together? Mm-hmm. And what I added was, I was going to add a little fish character. And it would just sit there blowing bubbles. And if you happen to get the answer right, you don't have to look at it, but you'd have a mouse over or a, you know, a cursor over thing, and the bubbles would change. So if mm-hmm. the bubbles were changing, it's like, okay, you're on the right track. Because yeah. there's this, this, you know, this idea that you, know, you get the wrong answer to in the world with math, and, and you know, it doesn't have to be. You can have that freedom of, you know, I want to be able to explore this. You know, I see it with my students sometimes. They'll come in and steal their own textbooks because mm-hmm. they don't want anyone to see them doing work. Yeah. Because then they can fail. But if if you don't know they did the work, it's okay if they didn't pass because you didn't see them. You didn't see them try. Right. Yeah. The the feedback without the fail state. I guess. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I was at a conference last weekend, and there was a uh, speaker there. His name is uh, the Professor Francis Sue out of uh, out of uh, um, Harvey Mudd College, and he just put a book out where he had a. Um, an inmate at a, lo- a prison reach out to him, mm. and this man has been able to practice mathematics, you know, and just you know on his own with yeah. the time that he's got, you know, teaching himself things and you know getting himself in, even into the, you know, upper level maths and and I just find that fascinating that this man who does isn't free and doesn't get to experience freedom is able to take his time in a way that my students who are free and have all the time you know in space. But they only can study math when they're in the room with me, mm-hmm. and they don't have that. Or, or it hasn't occurred to them that this can be something that you approach at your own pace and your right. own speed. And just because you missed this lesson here, or you don't have to have that inadequacy, you can just you know take it at your own pace and get it. Yeah. Do you think that has something to do with the the, the fact that the context in which we're introduced to these concepts? And it is school, and the fact of so much of school is trying not to fail so much as uh, as opposed to wanting to learn? I think that the school system has tried to address these things by allowing people to retake tests as many times as they want, but it, it hasn't gotten into the classroom to the point that the students are aware that they have that right and expectation. Yeah. Let me give you an example. Mm. Um, the colleges, we have local college, you know, the, the local state colleges, like Middle Tennessee State University, and, you know, it's a state school, right? Well, in high school, you, you're supposed to, according to the, the, you know, you're supposed to be able to retake a test as many times as you want. Hmm. Well, why can't I do that in topology in, in college? You know, if I fail that class, I have to wait two years to take it or and risk a scholarship and a suspension and all these things. And, you know, if all I needed was four more weeks you know, another another spin through it. How do you both have accountability but also allow, so, you know, someone to, you know, get through th- th- through those things and how to create those models? And I think that's a, 
conversation we haven't quite got to as a school system. Yeah. As, you know, not just high school, but, but upper-level maths. Mm. Or any, I'm sure, any subjects, too. You look at Shakespeare. I mean, the accessibility to Shakespeare is, you know, if, if you're not... I mean, if you have one bad Shakespeare experience, even a theater person is going to be turned off on him and not realize, hey, this was the Vince McMahon of the 1600s and he had all these dirty jokes in here, but it's kind of been... You know, the, the, the language has shifted a little bit. And, yeah. And, you know, people fa 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 like, no, you're not the king of England in, in 1800. You're the, you know, like these guys were the scrappy peasants in 1500. Yeah, they sounded more like us in terms of actual absolutely. accent. Absolutely. Yeah, and no, we're, uh, we're now in my wheelhouse as someone with an English degree. But yeah, and, and in a similar way yeah. of like turning people off to something they could potentially want to learn about, mm-hmm. the, the thing I harp on with Shakespeare constantly is that because they're the, quote, great plays, we're always taught... Your Hamlets and your Lears and your Romeos and Juliet. Those are great plays, but the way to get people interested, like, obviously, you know, I'm the kind of person who got into Shakespeare through those, regardless of uh, the barrier for entry, because I was going to be into it regardless. But a lot more people might be if you start with the comedies with all the dirty jokes in them, Mm -hmm. because they're just, they're written by the same guy. Some of them have the same amount of depth, but they don't have, you know, the, the well of human suffering that a King of Lear has. Yeah. Well, you look at, like, Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm. You know, we know that, like, we know Shakespeare wrote that one. Um, the measure theory I was telling you about, you know, there's applications of it that were able to show us, you know, you, you know some probability that, you know, Two Dumbo Kinsmen had certain parts of it written by Shakespeare and certain written by, uh, you know, another, another artist at the time. Mm. And they're sourced from the same material. They're both sourced from the uh, Canterbury Tales, the yes. Knight's Tale. And... The way that we that we experience, you know, Shakespeare as, you know, I'm not a I'm not a Shakespeare guy versus I'm not a math guy. It's kind of the same conversation. Hmm. And yet, when you can get in there in the in the, the the language that they use at the time, you can really dig in there and, and find yourself in that speech and, you know, explore math for what it is rather than you know when am I going to use this right. Yeah, that's a corollary I've never thought of in terms of both Shakespeare and math have this, in many ways, a language barrier mm-hmm. that you don't understand, and yet they are both so incredibly universal mm-hmm. that once you understand that language, it is in everything you see. And Shakespeare, if you notice, like he wrote King Lear, and he never used the word zero. Interesting. Because zero wasn't in the common lexicon even in 1600. Right. And his stuff was written. It was. It, you weren't reading Shakespeare in 1600 because those people they couldn't read. Mm-hmm. They were just going to see the They're play. Just, the one right. Time. And yet they had to put on a whole different play. You know, the next day, and they had to deal with the sun and all those things. And when you get to appreciate, you know, the 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 routine of it, you know, you get something rich. And it's being able to, you know, a video game is something that you could start to, you know put those things together with and, you know, get an experience that didn't exist before. I mean, imagine, you know, a classroom where, you know, you could be taught by, you know, an Albert Einstein or uh, William Shakespeare or, you know, just put, you know, put on the motion capture suit and you could just replace me with John Cena or Fred (laughs) Flintstone or, you know, whatever you wanted to. And I think we're not far away from that. I I think with the virtual reality stuff, you, you will eventually see teachers like me could become obsolete. Or rather, you know, there's that, that saying that a teacher that can be replaced by a machine should. Hmm. Interesting. Because if you can have that experience, you know, the experience, a rich experience in a, in a great classroom, then the role of the teacher in the classroom can change because you can get the things that were hardest to get. Yeah. Um, and then that puts us in a position of, you know, we can serve as the social emotional side of, of learning. Yeah, more counseling than actual right. instruction. And you still have to have someone in that space. Mm-hmm. Most, many of my students don't have anyone there in their lives, yeah. or, or very few, that, that are coherent enough to speak math. So why would they think they would need to if nobody in your realm does that? Yeah. That's what's important about having stuff like this, is you bring people out here and, and say, hey, this is, this is, remember that thing that we, you know, that thing that you thought wasn't important? Mm-hmm. Well, when you do trivia with some of these people and, and that, you know, have are in these professions that are that have gone to schools and studied all these things and that's where you get to connect with things and mm-hmm. and and you know that's not in everyone's uh, wheelhouse yeah well thanks for so much for sitting down with me i think we need to run downstairs for the presentation get them thank you sir thank you hello hello how are you Good, how are you i'm doing well thank you could you uh, introduce yourself to the folks at home yes i am monique lester bell 
I am originally from Memphis, Tennessee, and we've been in Nashville about a couple of years. Excellent. So uh, would you like to tell folks about uh, the game you just showed off in the uh, presentation we just got out of? Yes. So it was awesome. So we had a game. uh, Basically, it was a reverse part of Fruit Ninja. So basically, our uh, Ninja is repairing the fruit that he is throwing over the fence for his trainer to slice. So. So, um, and, and we talked about this with some of the previous guests before, how Game Jam is less about completing something fully and more about, okay, what can we get done? So uh, uh, if you would describe for uh, folks what you were able to accomplish yes. on this in a 48-hour period. Yes, yeah, so let's just be clear. We did not have developers, so my group, uh, and we call ourselves Flip Out. Mm. So it was uh, Josh Valencia, uh, Lindsay Garland. Mm. We all... Um, collaborated and use uh, Esprite. Mm. Um, let's see, Logic Pro mm-hmm. did some um, Final Cut and just some uh, web-based applications. And so we had no idea about development. And so we just ran with it with uh, writing, mm-hmm. building a story, uh, creating original concept art, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, uh, some, just some awesome music. So. Right. No, so it wound up in a very convincing trailer, I would say. <laughs> well, you know, after we solicited uh, developers, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it was very uh, intense, the environment, but way more than what we expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we just said, hey, let's let's go for it and use what we have. Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of backed into it and said, well, what would we want this game to look like? Mm-hmm. And so just going from there and building on those concepts, uh, we basically um, pitched. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, uh, was this your first game jam? This was all of um, my and Josh's. This was my mm. first um, game jam, and I actually uh, brought my daughter. So oh, wow. she competed on a different team, mm-hmm. and so I thought it'd be a great experience for her. But I definitely uh, got just as much out of it. Mm-hmm. So, if you haven't done it before, what brought you to the game jam? So, my daughter's an artist. Mm. So she does a lot of um, graphic design, uh, visual arts, uh, different types of things. She's always gaming uh, with Nintendo Switch and just, you know, electronics everywhere. So I thought this would be a great uh, opportunity for her to kind of collaborate with teams and see how things actually come together, you know, from a gaming standpoint, uh, the art, the music, uh, etc., and just make great friends. Yeah, the team building aspect, I was... This is my first game jam as well. Yes. This is I was impressed by it from minute one, how yes. like it was built into the breakout session at the beginning yes. that you talk to so many different people. It's incredibly well formatted. Well, exactly. And if you've ever been to uh, any type of team building um, event, mm-hmm. you always try and go around people that you don't know. And yes. that's exactly what we did. And we ended up on teams that we were, you know, well, I did not know any of the uh, other team members. They didn't know me. And we just, we we stuck based yeah. on uh, interest. Mm-hmm. So based on the interest of uh, the project that we wanted to uh, participating gotcha. and it just worked out <laughs> well it was excellent work thanks for talking to me well thank you I, it's thank been you a, it's been a long weekend so i won't keep you any longer thanks matt